Well, I'm looking for that legend, the one that got away. The one that doubles other size, or as the old folks say, he's out there and he's taunting me. I just need him on my line. Cause when I haul him on the shore, his legacy will be mine. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. John Zantini here, the gang. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Today's musical artist is Unk Al and the Amazingly Mediocre, and the song is titled That Fish and Song. Today's show is sponsored by the Kings Grant Farmers Market, who this Thursday, the 17th of June, is having a food drive for the Judeo Christian Outreach Center. Be sure to check out all the hot links that we've got in our social media posts so you can find out more about that event. They're actually looking to exceed their 600 pound goal from last year, which I think we can do it. So if you're listening to this podcast, Check out the market and definitely check out those links. Now, for the man that has tried 1,500 plus jobs in Hampton Roads and hasn't been able to keep one of them, Joe Flanagan. Thank you, thank you, John Zontini. John Zontini of Bird Mad Media is where we post these podcasts. I'm Joe Flanagan, did my 31 years at Channel 13 and had most most fun with joe's job series all those years as well as our navy christmas specials uh let me introduce the other two members of the gang this is joe flanagan and the gang tony zontini is really the guy who recruited me to be involved in all this tony works at uh, christ the king uh, school and a great community active guy and alfredo torres used to be on bob fm years ago and alfredo is the only one in this group that actually had a podcast and you'll hear more about that later on i can't wait to elaborate <laughs> we're thrilled to have carrie dockery with us this morning carrie thank you so much for, so much for joining us this is and fun. your new new world on radio we were just discussing this yeah you're having a ball there's there are second acts in life that's for sure yeah. <laughs> that's all I can say, as you're finding out. And I look, yes, indeed. Yes. And I look at your uh, your name, and I always wonder, Dockery or Doherty? It's Docker T. Docker T. I'm sorry. Yeah. Except, but people, I have cousins that pronounce it incorrectly. And there's uh -huh. a new pitcher now for the Ole Miss baseball. I'm a big Ole Miss fan, and he pronounces it Doherty. So I might go with that because well, he's got a future. He's great. I have cousins, Doherty's, and that's what I uh, yeah, thought it me. would be pronounced. I don't okay, cool. Well, uh, you're you're new, reinvented yourself with the radio yeah. show with Mike Impervento, and yes. it's five days a week, uh, 9 to 10 on WNIS, AM right. 790. You're doing a fantastic job with it. Thank Is you. he well, real comfortable to work with? Mike? Yeah, he's crazy to work. Do you know Mike Improvento? He's a, you know, his background is more interesting than anybody I know. He's a he's a lawyer, very successful uh, personal injury lawyer, a, a plaintiff's lawyer, and then he's also a motorcycle racer. For a long time, he held the land speed record for motorcycles. Oh my God! And, and he's um, and he's he a couple years ago got this wild hair. He wanted to be a sheriff's deputy. You should have him on. And he's a sheriff. You're right. Sheriff's deputy in uh, Norfolk. He was the oldest guy to ever go through their training. So he practices law sort of on the side. He has radio show. He's a sheriff's deputy. And uh, he's he's from New York. He's got that accent that yeah. he, he hasn't lost it. He's been out of there for years, but he, it's like he just walked out of the Bronx or something. He's he's, he's a great guy. He really right. is. And, and how? And what you and what you ask him what he does, and he says he's a lawyer. You're like, get the hell out of here! Yeah, I know. <laughs> Tattoos all over him. Yeah, I mean, he looks like a biker dude. <laughs> yeah, he's funny. 
but he's a very good lawyer. I understand. I've never seen him in court, but I've heard he's excellent. And he, I think he made some money at one time. <laughs> you had, uh, <laughs> you had many years of the Washington post and then many, many, many years of the Virginia pilot yes. and reading your uh, bio. I'm fascinated by your time in Ireland during the troubles. Tell us right. about that. Well, I had been working. I got a job right out of college. At the, I did things backwards. I started at the biggest paper and moved to a smaller one. But I got a job at the Washington Post right out of college as a copy boy. So I, you know, sorted mail. And I mean, I was around all these famous people, Bob Woodward. And, you know, um, they were they were there at the Bob. Um, uh, what does Carl Bernstein had just left. But it was right as all the president's men was coming out. Oh. 1970s. And I, I became a reporter there eventually. But I really wanted to be a foreign correspondent. And my problem is I have no facility for languages, which left me with where was I going to go? Australia, England. And mm -hmm. I decided to go to the land of my ancestors because there was basically a war going on. So I left the post, went there for three years, covered the troubles and assorted other things. I had a great time. And then I wow. came back and came to the Virginian pilot in 1984. Worked there for 33 or 34 years. I can't do the math. And you run. went from reporter to columnist. Uh, what were your other, all your. I, I was on the editorial page for a while. That was like purgatory. God, that's <laughs> awful. I was the only conservative in this nest of liberals. Oh, my land. <laughs> really? Every, every day was like, you know, the battle of Midway. I feel <laughs> your pain. I feel your pain. Mercy. I feel your pain. Trying to beg them to just try to be a little more reasonable. It was awful. But when the when Larry Madry retired, he was a beloved columnist. There yep. were skid marks on the floor there. I went out and I just got on my hands and knees and begged the editor to give me that job. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that for 17 years, three a week. And uh, I wrote a lot of columns. That sounds they were outstanding. Thanks. Uh, real, real quick, Joe, before you go on, you know, Carrie, I, I got to ask you this. Um, because you said, you know, about being a conservative and I don't want to get too much into politics. Right. But um, we've got all the time in the world. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, but what I want to ask you is how have you as as a successful um, woman coming up through, you know, from the 70s with, with, with feminism and, and and kind of actually running with that ball of, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm a woman. I can do anything a man can do. I'm, right. I'm out. How do you stand it? <laughs> I mean, seriously, as, as a conservative, when you're exactly what a liberal should be. Well, see, I, that's my point. I don't like that word feminist, but I feel like my mother and grandmother were both working women. I didn't, I didn't right. from this idea that mom stayed home and we're pearls and vacuumed. My mom had a job. Her mother worked during the depression. She was a widow. And I mean, mm -hmm. I come from a, all the women in my family worked. It was expected I would work. And when I got into newspapers, women were mostly on the society pages. I was, I think the third, I was a sports writer for a while at the Washington Post because they always had one woman in there and the last woman had quit. So they gave me a job, uh, but they're, um, I mean, they moved me and I really was not equipped to be, I was not a good sports writer. That writing game stories, hardest thing you do in, in, uh, in newspapers, trying to do a play-by-play, really? -play and oh gosh, yes, sports writers know. are the best writers on any <laughs> paper. They really are. I wasn't cut out for that, but I, yeah, I think I made my way in what was sort of a man's world, and um, and I without making a big deal about it. I just work. I just think women traditionally work harder than men. I mean, I felt like I had to work twice as hard, and um, 
I got hired the same day as another guy at the at the Virginian pilot, and I had a spy in payroll about 20 years in and found out he was making $10,000 a year more than me. Wow. I got the biggest hey. raise ever when I produced my evidence. And- <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that's right. great. It was, right. You just so, have to be your own advocacy, I think. I didn't need the ACLU or anybody going to bat. I just went in and said, explain this he's taking a nap on the floor of his office right now <laughs> explain to me um <laughs> and, and how do you find dollars more i won't name names ten thousand no. we were hired the same day how, how have you found um the opportunities today for for women um and y- your ability to to be on par with men um, in the workforce I think, today versus I when think you easy. I think it's easy, and I think people are eager to hire women. There, there's no more of the fear that oh, she might get pregnant. Well, certainly oh, not. Oh, good but, gracious! But she might get pregnant and 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 leave the office. <laughs> there's none of that. I, I think women have an equal shot, especially in journalism. I think they outnumber men right now, mostly because men want to want to make money and women don't seem to care anymore i can't understand why <laughs> anybody be a newspaper well do you think women tell a story a little better or do you think men tell a story no. better oh i th- i think it's i i i can read a newspaper story and not know if it was by a woman or a man if it's well written right on no really i don't think there's a difference well, that's you know good, what then. i don't like is all the opinion creeping into the news now. Right. You see it everywhere oh man newspapers have really changed <laughs> as has broadcast mm. yes and I heard your your comment yesterday on your show talking about how uh, network reporters have dropped the ball in the last year. You were really oh upset goodness. with their uh, coverage. Yeah, well, I haven't been very critical of the mainstream media. And once I was freed from the shackles of actually working in it, I mean, <laughs> I can tell you, I saw things in the newspaper that I, I once had. I'll tell you this. I wrote because we don't know who's listening. But I, was, I, had a, I had a female editor who was very young and very woke. This was towards the end of my career at the pilot. And I wrote a story. I think it was, it might've been during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings about, you know, and the, the, the theory was all women should be believed. They must be believed. Women never lie. And I'm going, that's ridiculous. I'm a woman. I can tell you some of the best liars I've ever met are women. Mm-hmm. Why do we put women under oath in the courtroom if they always tell the truth? Just let them get up there and say what they want. Anyway, and I wrote this, this piece. Well, the editor came to me. She used profanity, said she wasn't going to print it. She started weeping about how some sexual assault she had 82 years ago or something. She was young, been 20 years ago. I mean, she was just a, a blubbering mess. And I said, well, put it in or I'm leaving because this is what I'm writing. But I mean, this idea that you can't even have opinions that that are a little contrarian, which is what I always like newspapers for. Make me think. Say something that not everybody else is saying, you know, and right now everything seems to be the left. So if you're on the right, you were the you were the contrarian. I didn't have many friends by the time I left, but we got that one in the paper. But I really had to fight this little woke girl who had a she had a stay at home husband supporting. You know, she's she's out working. He's home making her dinner every night. I thought, honey, you don't know. You don't know. <laughs> it, it, it's 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 really funny to, to hear that because I'm a person um I can be very emotional and I can be very sad. And John used to be my roommate. I'm sure he's seen it. I'm the same way. Um, But, but, but I'm also very logical Mm -hmm. and, and I can separate the emotion from the logic. And even if my emotion says I can't, I shouldn't do this. My logic says, no, this is what has to be done. Right. Um, And and I, I, I look at the media 
and I see what they do and, and it's strictly playing on emotion and it kills me because it's like, okay, yeah, you know, I, I get how you should be feeling, but if we're looking at the overall, um, the overall picture and what's going to benefit people and humanity, then we need to stop being emotional. I'll never forget. We had a, a consultant come into the station. This was gee, four or five years before I retired at the end of the session, his exit line was okay to sum everything up. You people, one word, you people need to be more urgent. You need more <laughs> urgency in your news game <laughs> to your point, Alfredo. It, uh, a plan on emotions. I mean, it's obvious. And ABC, the evening news, those teases last as long as the half-hour newscast. We're coming, up coming up and coming up and coming up and coming up and coming up. Oh my God! It's it, it's disappointing when they get to the real news. They give it such a yeah, yeah right. I I I you know it's funny because I always uh, I'm a big believer in 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 AI and it's going to take over the world. And I am I'm I'm, I'm Terminator Skynet. I, I it's going to happen. Uh, and which which that point gets us right to real quick your podcast was sort of like <laughs> it, what was it on it was on zombies. zombies we'll talk about that we'll talk about that in a second because AI I, zombies. I, I, wanted, I, I want to bring this back coming from <laughs> i want to bring this back to carrie yes. um not not me we, we can interview me some so other carrie day. what's your take on ufos well, hold on let me stop <laughs> so the thing with ei and this is um what I find on most people on the left who want to talk about science is that if, if we were to utilize AI, uh, AI, excuse me, by artificial intelligence, which is not going to act on emotion, uh, it would wipe out half the world. It's data-driven 100%. Right. And so uh, are we looking at what's the best situation or are we looking at what's the emotional best situation? Because mm -hmm. those are always going to be two different things. Mm-hmm. Carrie, what do you? What, well, yeah, yeah, and I'm, I mean, I hadn't really thought about that, but I, I did see during this year, this year of COVID has been very revealing about the media, and I was stunned. And it's been, and I, let me just say something that's going to sound sick. It's been really good for my website <laughs> because I, there, I know I've had a really good year. I've got a new job in radio, and my website went went crazy. Part of it was, I think. I, I, I was a handful, was one of a handful of journalists questioning the status quo from the beginning. I questioned 15 days to slow the spread. I said, how does the, you know, we have civil rights in this country. The government is telling you, you have to close your business. You can't support your family. I was stunned by that. I was opposed to masks from the first day I saw somebody wearing one in public. It made no sense to me when the governor said, you know, he had this little folksy press conference telling people, get a bandana and just tie it around. I'm going, bandana can't stop a virus i you know i had biology 101 in college i know how tiny a virus is and i had home ec in high school i know what fibers look like there's no way it so but but the mainstream media unquestionably became cheerleaders for the cdc and for fear and for they they ginned up the hysteria by every day listing cases which were just positive tests because the cycles were too high i don't want to get into all that but there was no there was so little questioning in the mainstream media about what was being pumped out um, from the CDC about this and, and by the mainstream media trying to keep people scared and afraid and hiding in their bedrooms. Meanwhile, the working class is out there fetching things for these people sitting in their houses, you know, I, yeah. I, and I was a contrarian from the very beginning. I just kept saying, where's the ACLU? Somebody go to court and put an end to this. We can take care of ourselves. We're Americans. If you've got an 
you know, if you're elderly, we got to take care of those people. You have a, an, a compromised immune system. You need to be really careful. But those, I have a, a good friend who's a, who has metastatic breast cancer. She is so careful during flu season. You know, she, she knows how to take care of herself to, to stay healthy. But this idea of the nanny government ordering people to put cloth on their faces when they went out in public, I, honestly, it just, I burned mine. I had a little burning ceremony a couple <laughs> weeks ago. I've heard about those. I've, I've talked yeah. to several other people that wish to have them. Well, you know, it's hard though. You got to be careful because you hold it from the top and light oh, it on the bottom. I obviously don't know what's on fire. She burned herself. That's what she's yeah, saying. Yeah, it was coming up and it was going for the fingernails. It was so scary. No, I just think that if the mainstream media had been doing its job, they would have been questioning the origins of this virus, you know, 15 months ago and not now. But part of it mm -hmm. was this loathing of the president. And the president said so many wacky things, but he, you know, even a blind squirrel gets a nut now and then. <laughs> and he had... He, you know, he was right. He, he was questioning the origins of the virus and it was dismissed in the mainstream media because they didn't want to give him any credibility. So. Right. And now you're on now you're on radio. Right. And how was how did you find the transition from the written word to uh, Ooh, to the spoken word? Mm, well, that's a question. question. Well, you know, it's hard because I, I found it a little tricky because I'm a blurter as you can tell, because I just told that little story about my, I'm sitting here saying, why did I tell that story? I, 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 feel, I feel your pain. I'm not a, a blogger, I'm a blurter. I'm a blurter, uh, and I also um, spent 42 years in newsrooms, so I've also got, I, I, I have a colorful vocabulary. You got some swagger and I, in there. You know, it's very hard. I get on the radio and I keep thinking, can I get sued? I better not say this. Oh, but no. with writing, I could write something pretty off, pretty crazy and then go back and edit it and take out the, all the libel. But it's really hard to do it. Right. Talking. So, so you, you have to self-censor all the time. I find right. that hard. So you, do you find yourself in the in, in, in a lot of times in the moment? Um, <laughs> it, it's, it, said, you, I have said a few things on radio that never came back to bite me. Thank God. But after I've, I've gotten off the show, I thought, why did I say that? Did they recruit you or did you recruit them? They recruited me. Bob Sinclair. He I, I, years ago he talked to me a little bit about doing radio, but I kept thinking. Oh, you know, I'm in newspapers. Our yeah. future is bright. Who knows what's going to happen with radio? Because I was an idiot. And um, <laughs> oh, and um, but he called me last year and I was out of the blue, you know, wow. I was doing my website and said, how would you like to do an hour um, every morning? And then he said with Improvento, I said, he'll step all over me. Well, let me talk. I've been on his show. He just interrupts people. And he <laughs> said, you you can handle him. And um so I, I said, why not? You know, you can't be afraid to try new things just because you're old. So yeah, very good. Yeah. You're not old. I get thought we, I thought we'd get fired right away, but <laughs> actually, I really did. I thought, well, this will be fun for a few weeks. We'll see until they nobody's listening and people like it. They want us to have more time, but we'd have yeah. to kill Brian Kilmeade to get it. So that's not going to happen. I think Kathy uh, Lewis had me fill in for her a few years ago, mm -hmm. and first day there, I was telling her when we talked to her. It was absolute sensory overload. Yeah. I was in a panic looking in the window at the producer type, looking up above at the monitors where the callers are coming from. Right. Don't forget, Joe, say their names twice. Hi, Bob, calling from Hampton. What's on your mind, Bob? <laughs> it was just crazy. But the second guest, the next time I went in was Jeff Lawson, and he never shut up just talking <laughs> about the weather. So I sat back and was relaxed and thought this this could be fun. It is. It, we have to multitask because I have my yeah. I have my iPad out and I've got my phone out so that I can research things. Because sometimes you say dumb things like, 
you know, that movie Clint Eastwood was in, you can't think of the name of it. Well, yeah. thank God for technology. You can come back from a break. And say, but that <laughs> yes. was the Unforgiven 1993. I'm more comfortable multitasking now than I was in the beginning. And, and uh, I'm going to assume this because I've never been a journalist, um, but jur- journalism is a is, is in your case is a one woman show. You get the story, you write the story, you submit right. the story. Um, while here, with your show with with, with Mike and Prevento, that's that's a team. Mm-hmm. How do you find that dynamic going from from you control your content, you do right. what you want to do, to now it's a partnership. Well, we we get along pretty well. What we our, our habit is we both are looking for stuff all the time to talk about on the show. And I like to go in with 10 or 15 sort of quick things and see we just see what the what the audience is sure. responding to. Mike comes in and he always has a few things, too. And his he's very he's law enforcement oriented and legally oriented. And I you know, I pull him back from the more he likes to get into the weeds on lawsuits and, and cases you know, and I try to interrupt him and, and make it a little more layman like because I think that's hard. But he's really smart. I don't mean that in a way. He's so smart and he brings that element. And then I bring the more carefree element. But I think it works because we, we meet for about 45 minutes before every show. We go over what we have and then we decide he'll say, you start it. You start with this. And we try to start with something local because people, you know, we're local radio. And where are you going to hear? And I have to tell you, I'm covering things on my website. The newspaper's missing. And wow. so I try to bring that stuff in. The newspaper is so thin right now. It's a staffing problem. But there's a big controversy going on the school board right now, and the paper still hasn't covered it. And we've been all over it. So um, I can bring it to the radio. I feel like we're doing a public service as well as right. sometimes. You, now, you, both of you tend to, to, to be on the same side of things. Right. Um, and norm, so, so we're not having that... But you're not having the conflict which so many people really get drawn to radio for when you have a, a, a two man booth or, yeah. you, you know, um, how do you find that? being able again to draw the people in when there's no conflict. I want to hear the people butting heads um, and I want to hear the dialogue, but with you guys, you're getting along, you're, you're skipping and holding hands down the street wow. and it's like, okay, they, they, they love life. Why am I, why am I That's listening to conflict? Well, we, yeah, I mean, I think we're the only, at least on WNIS, I'm the only woman on right now at all. And, and we're the only people doing what we do that, that I ever hear. And we're not doing the old uh, liberal and conservative point counterpoint, you, you know, Jane, you ignorant slut, if you remember that. <laughs> I, I think we, we disagree occasionally, but I think we, we just bring different perspectives to everything. It seems to be working. I mean, and we do get along. I, I have a lot of respect for Mike. He's so doggone smart. He's really way smarter than I am. And, he, and I think I have really good news instincts. So I think together it works, you know, and, uh, and he likes to interrupt <laughs> listeners. I like to say, well, wait a minute, you know, Betty wanted to make two points and she's only gotten to make half a point. Let's listen to her. <laughs> good Lord. I've got a question <laughs> for you. We have a- so Carrie. Yes. Nope. TZ's on. Go uh, ahead. Uh, I have called into your show and a couple of times and you're right. Mike like to cut his favorite. His favorite technique is, hey, thanks for calling, Tony. Oh, no. He just hangs up. 
Tony, uh, Tony, you're sounding like Tel Aviv. You must be at yeah. New Kent where there's no, no good service on the road. Yeah. You guys run an AC? Windows down? Yeah, <laughs> windows down. So, yeah, we do. You can't let it's it's a it's a it's a tightrope though, sort of Tony, because you you know you can't. Some talk callers will try to hijack the show. Oh yeah, we got a couple guys that like to call in and read Bible script, read oh, scripture. Oh really? I'm always going, you know, wow. I believe in a separation of church and radio. No, get off. <laughs> but um, but but some people will just go on and on. And there's a, but I try to let people. They say I, I have two quick questions. You know, let them let them say their piece. It's talk radio. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Carrie. I um I love doing the podcast stuff. I love doing music and right. anything that has to do with audio and, and whatnot. And so my question to you is personally, it's ten minutes. You've done your forty five minutes with Mike. It's ten minutes before the show. For all the young journalists out there, for all the young ones that want to get into radio and get some excitement, because right. it is exciting. It's nerve wracking, like Joe was talking about. But right. What's going through your head 10 minutes before you're about to be live and you can't go back and revise and red pen? No. Well, I don't have anything written. We just talk. I mean, I have notes, but okay. One thing I do is I run to the bathroom. <laughs> the bathroom break. Got to do that right before. And I just try to ch chug some coffee and diet Coke. And I try to, cause you've got to sound energetic. If you sound tired mm -hmm. every once in a while, somebody say, you know, you sound tired today. And that's really? the worst thing you yeah. can tell me. Don't even if I'm boring, <laughs> but, but um, if you listen to Tony McCraney, that man has so much energy at 6am. He is on fire. And he said, he hears that, that music, that's his show. He's on no matter how he's actually feeling that day. Yeah. And, um, and you gotta, you've just gotta be high energy. I, I had a friend when I lived in Ireland, my roommate was a, big radio star there her name was oh, wow. caroline murphy she's her husband is sort of the um he's he's a political analyst they both are media people and what i city were you in i was in dublin i lived in cool. Dublin. yeah it was really really nice you know our home country joe and, yes. <laughs> and top of the morning and um and she told me once when you're on radio you got to smile and i had never thought of that so and yeah. i i try to remind myself she said you can hear a smile so 100%. Yeah. And a lot I've of times I'm that. totally ticked off about something, but I try to remember to take a deep breath and smile uh, when I'm talking about I'm how much so I can't right yeah. yeah. People people don't people don't understand the energy that it takes. It's the energy um, it is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, when, when I was on radio um and, and John used to listen to me. Yeah, uh, I loved it. You know, I I was very gregarious and then <laughs> and as soon as yeah and as soon as the mic went off i would sit there and just kind of like and people would come up you know who'd want to visit me and they would sit there um watching me with my you know i'm a new yorker too so my hands are moving i'm like hey come on slamming and right. and then i turned the mic off and i'm sitting there and they're like the heck well yeah, yeah exactly like why are you not and i would tell them i go you know how much cocaine it would take for me to be that kind of <laughs> that energetic all the time I, man you have to remember you're not just on you're an entertainer you got to entertain people so hey, the it's same an, it's applied a bit of acting right With yeah same the same thing. applied in doing yeah. stories. I'd go into the audio booth to record the script for a, a TV story. and might feel like crap that day, but right. as soon as the mic comes on to record the copy, this today down at the beach. <laughs> da, 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 da. Ed Hughes taught me that eons ago. Ed really? would always be up, up, up whenever he was on. Good evening, everyone. I'm Ed Hughes. But he he might shuffle over to the bar after the six o'clock news. He felt so bad, but we, we should it. all dress up in some like 
motivational war paint before the podcast end. Right. You know? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. It wouldn't matter. We're we're supposed to be audio only. So oh, yeah, it's right. just for us. So we can keep our- the future. Of, the future <laughs> of audio is just great because I I listen to podcasts when I I'm a walker. I like to walk. And I have started, I just put in my ear, earbuds and I, I listen to, I listen to audio books. I listen to podcasts. How it's many steps to, do you average? Well, I tried, I, I've, I've sort of have an, I'm working with an injury. I average oh. about 18,000 a day if Ooh. I can. Oh, I wow. Try, great. 18,000 books a day? No steps. <laughs> oh, steps. I didn't hear yeah, the steps part. Steps, no, Roger I that. I was like, holy what? Jerry, um, so you mentioned Tony McCreaney. Yes. Who, who honestly is a radio god down in the Hampton <laughs> Roads Aren't we lucky yeah. to have him? Oh, man. Yeah, how is it? We are how lucky is it, to have him. How is it sitting underneath the learning tree of somebody with that kind of talent, that kind of reputation, um, and, and, and being able – do you learn from him? Does he give oh, you advice? Yes. Oh, he does. And he's, he's so gracious. He's so gracious. He gives us a good intro every day. And, of course, I listen to his show on the way in, so – we, we talk every morning before we go on and he gets us, he puts me in a good mood. He's so funny. He'll, you know, he, he helps build the energy. And, um, I really like Tony. I don't work the board. If, you, if people know what that is, that's that. Old, I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't, I don't work it. And, um, there's a, a movement that I should know how to work the board. And Tony's saying, come in some morning. I'll teach you the board. You know, it's you like, don't, right you don't want to, you don't want to work the board for Tony <laughs> because you got, I mean, cause he's so bam, 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 you know, it, right. Yeah, I, I've had to do that a couple times, and I was just like, "Yeah, no, I'm going back to the mic." <laughs> no, Tony is just—he is high energy. And a couple of weeks ago, we came in. He said, "Man, I almost called you too. I wasn't feeling good this morning." He said, "I thought I wasn't going to come in." I said, "Oh wow, you sounded great." It's like, wow. it, I mean, you never would have known that he was—he was actually kind of ill, and he was on the air. So anyway, but he's—he's he's a smart great. man too. Oh uh, my goodness. You say Mike's smart. Tony sounds very smart on issues. Yes, he's he's a history buff, and he's I mean current affairs. He gets up at two in the morning to prepare for his six a.m. show. No he, kidding. He is, when I, when uh yeah he he gets um one of the, one of the jobs I had when I first started was doing his prep, um and so I had to literally and I would go in at midnight, and I had to go and search the wire and pull out all the news stories and highlight stuff and then place it on the desk for him. And he would come in and, and, and there would be 20 stories on his desk, all laid out, highlighted, and he would look through them. Wow. Chuck them, read, okay, this is good, this is hot, I need this. And stacks of books that get sent to him for pre, you, you know, uh, hey, we got a book coming out, here you go. Here's a copy of it. And he would read them all. The, he'd the, read the all the books. Oh yeah, he 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 reads everything. That's and crazy. he's also cool. got that having been years as a DJ, he's got an encyclopedic knowledge about music. Yes, and, and he always he apparently looks at the who was born today or who died, and the yeah. other day he's talking about Peter Asher from Peter and Gordon. I hadn't thought of them in oh, years, wow. but he yes. puts from their music ready. He get he gets those hotkeys ready. I mean, he is so good and on fire. I don't know how you do that every single day. You know, at that hour, you know, two a.m. to get up and prepare that's amazing i I will tell you this though what i appreciate about that um i actually traveled and toured and played a lot of music and there are certain moments that you get to feel like you exist outside of regular society in a way 
one way or another. And one of my ways with literally watching people shave and read the paper and everything while they're on their way to work. And I'm, you know, not showered for three days sitting in a van going from South Carolina to Florida. Right. But I feel like when and sometimes getting early for me is not really that great of an option. But the times that I have, I sometimes feel like and I'm and I bet Tony probably feels a little bit of this, that you're getting ahead of the world and you're getting ahead of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you get to exist kind of in your own secret bat cave while the world is just flying right in front of you, kind of untouched, but yet completely engaged. And it's yeah. really kind of awesome to to hear that because, I mean, to have all that stuff laid out and to think that he really reads all those books is pretty outstanding. I don't know. I can imagine yeah, getting up at midnight and having to do that tour and whoever does it now, you know, and reading that stuff at 2 a.m. Yeah, that's some dedication. But man, I just really feel like he probably feels a little bit, you know, I'd feel that way. I don't know. I I, I guess if I had a, a program like that, I'd probably put that kind of dedication into it, too. But I'm just kind of lazy. So, hey, I'm part and of the gang. He, well, <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, he has people who does it for him, too. Yeah, but that's so, outstanding. You Carrie. Know? Yes. OK, so. You wake up today. Yes. Yeah. What's the story? Today? What are you going to talk about? What do you decide today is going to be the story to talk about? Are you talking about today, literally today? No, no, no. Any day. Any day. Whatever, pick, it, pick the day. It's whatever gets me spitting mad. And there's always something. I mean, <laughs> mad. Mad. Yeah. Oh, something that just is out right the other day. Okay. We have AOC. Alexandria Ocasio. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And she's a, she went to Puerto Rico to visit her abuela who's ill. She hasn't seen her in a year because of COVID. Here's pictures. Look at the look at the condition she's living in. There's buckets on the floor. There's, a, you know, I'm thinking you're driving a Tesla. Yeah. You have two apartments. Send Nana some money. At yeah. some money. God. Yeah. You know, I mean, on top then, of that, in her position, I, she could at least just yeah. send well, like that, a couple well, of tankers. That, but, that to me epitomized something else. These are that hurricane was four years ago. Puerto Rico is a, a functionally it's a dysfunctional government down there. They got yes. lots of things, sat on the tarmac, didn't get to the right people. You have the ability to help your grandmother. But but there's that thought the government should do this. I'm not fixing my abuela's ceiling that's leaking because the government should do that. And the FEMA money hasn't come yet. And, I, to me, that's emblematic of a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff there. I, we went crazy with that, you know. Uh, God, I wish yeah. I would have heard that. It was, because... it was fun. Have you That's ever seen the list of government contracts that are still available out there? Oh, really? You, you should we, see what's happening. You should. Well, uh... it, Mike could easily pull it up and probably yeah. go nuts on it with the legal background. But you should see some of the contracts that are still available to try to support people from all of those stores from oh, years ago. Gosh. They're yeah. still um, active. You know, as, as as a Puerto Rican myself, um everything that she said when it comes to that issue was like a slap in the face because we are very family oriented. Right. And so, you know, I mean, we're the ones who I remember growing, I remember growing up and having our grandmother move in with us because she didn't have a place to stay. And we lived in a, in a crowded apartment in the Bronx and she stayed with us until one of my aunts could take her and support her. There was no, Oh, you know, She's Sorry. living in a, in, a, in, a, in a leaky roof house with rats running all over the place. Right. So, yeah, so I, I, I get the outrage. But do you ever wake up and it's like, this is a great story. It's a beautiful day. Let me let me spread happiness and joy. <laughs> Not no, a bad one. no, it never says up with people by anything. I'm doing. No, no, there's always something to be angry about. This past year has really been I have been in a state of rage 
since March of 2020. And it's, it's only starting to abate a little bit now. And now I'm just angry about what we allow oh, kids being out of school all this time. That's just, that's outrageous. It's to me, I almost can't, we try to keep humor in our show. I really have a hard time about laughing about kids sitting there at second grader on zoom for seven hours a day, trying to learn something. And the teachers don't get me started. Right. Um, well, well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Joe. This is, um, I, ju I just knew Carrie had discussed so much the school board on Friday. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and what's going to become of that issue this week? I saw right. the Manning article up on the website. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the critical race theory is, you know, it's it's a hot topic. And apparently it's already in Virginia Beach schools. It's They've been training. The ridiculous. It's critically nuts is what it is. It's, you know, and, and there's this there's a I think I really do see a definite move by some, and this is not all Democrats or anything. It's just people on the far left who just want to destroy Western civilization. They don't like anything that we stand for. And they don't see the beauty in America and our love of liberty. And, and you know, all they can see is that some of the founders held slaves, which was a, a very bad thing, but they, they to, uh, to, to dismiss the enlightenment because of that is crazy. Kathy and, mentioned that. You know, it's funny. I, I tell people, don't judge me by yesterday's standards today because you will be judged tomorrow right for what you did today by tomorrow's standards um and and it, you know i like to think we evolve and and it's funny because you and i are both on the same political spectrum yet you like you said you're angry i'm not i'm happy well, because, I'm <laughs> well, I'm talking about but when I when I talk about politics, what right. what I've I, I ended up finding is that um, people are waiting for you to be the angry conservative, because the minute that you're angry, right. then uh, you throw all the other bad things that go the stereotypes into the conservative label. And if you're angry, all they do is they say, see, see, see. Um, but if you're happy and you're positive. Well, now you're using their, you know, what they're supposed to be. Right. Well, I don't think I by angry, I just mean things that get me going. We try to right. handle things with humor on the show. Sure. Otherwise, you'd want to kill yourself by the end of it, yeah. you know, and people we've had I've had comments from people. Thanks for, you know, I've, I want to despairing. I listen to you, too, and I have to laugh. You know, it's sort of like if you don't laugh. You're going to cry. I mean, that's. But yeah, I but I that's how I pick what I anything that really gets me going in the morning is I can usually. I think I'm sort of just an everyman. I'm not particularly smart. I don't have it. You know, I'm just a regular person. And when I read something that gets me going, I fear most people are going to feel the same way if they have common sense. You know, seeing somebody's grandmother living in that apartment when you're driving a Tesla, it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, you know, that or just. Or you're a politician. Yeah. In office. Yes. Uh, where did you go to school? I went to a little college in Pennsylvania called Elizabethtown, a private college. Um, Back when you could, I put myself through a private college back in the day. That's wow. how old I am. <laughs> and 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 how did you find going to a small little uh, liberal co uh, private college? How, how did you? How did that shape you during that time? Well, it was during the Vietnam War, and our college was run by um, one of those churches, sort of like the Quakers. They were anti-war, so everybody was sort of an activist on campus. I was very I. I I guess I was liberal. I was very against the Vietnam War. Um, I think in retrospect, a lot of people realized that we there was a lot of bloodshed that was unnecessary and that was an ill-conceived adventure. But um, but 
I, I went to a small college and I thought it was good. I, I majored in political science and had a small department. I think seven of us graduated with political science degrees. We had fabulous professors. And, um, you know, one of my least favorite classes at the time was one called um, public administration, which turned out to be the one I used the most on sort of understanding how government works. When I think of how I hated that class and I, I didn't like the professor and I didn't like the, the books were dry. And it's exactly, I, I mean, I'm always amazed by people who don't understand how government works. You know, people who don't realize they can go watch a trial because they don't realize the courts are open to the public. I mean, it's Isn't amazing. The point, Civic though? education is very great. <laughs> what is <laughs> the uneducation? Yeah. I mean, I, even people, you know, my age who will say, oh, yeah, I said, I, there, you know, there's a great case going on. Oh, I'd love to go see that. I said, drive out and go in. Go in there. You can do that. You can go to court. And I'm going, did you sleep through social studies? What's going on here? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I might have well, actually done that. Well, to, no, to, to be fair, uh, you know, we learn a lot of stuff when we're young and how much are we paying attention and how much do we recall? And that's all the brain cells we burned in college. Yeah, too. buddy. <laughs> so my great, uh, my great uncle took me to court when I was in uh, high school because he's trying to urge me to become a lawyer. And he was hard of hearing at the time. And we are dead center in the back of the room. Oh, no. The guy just got life. And the guy is literally walking down the aisle toward us. And my uncle, what'd he get? Oh, Leaning no. over to me. I said, life, Elmer. What'd he get? He couldn't hear me right next to him. He got life. The guy's right in front of me. He got life. I'm dying. Completely embarrassed. That's crazy. Needless to say, I never became a lawyer, but it wasn't. Because <laughs> that, you know, Joe, you say that. And it's funny because the first thing I heard was, uh, my uncle took me to court. I'm like, wow, really? He got life. <laughs> no, 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 not that. That, that his <laughs> uncle took him to court. Like there was some kind of civil suit that had to happen. And, yeah. like, Joe, what did you do to your uncle uh, that he had to take it off to my aunt. He yeah. drug me down to the courthouse. He gave me life. <laughs> I always thought in big cities that was a form of entertainment for like senior citizens. You know, if you yeah. walk to the courthouse around the corner and it's a boring day, you walk in and you see what's going on. Yeah, but, makes um, sense. It, here we can't in Virginia Beach anyway. Your municipal center is a trip. You have to be going there for something else. So, thirty-one years in, on uh, as a journalist. Now you're on radio. Right. Um. What drew you to the 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 political side? There there were so many avenues to go in in, in right. journalism. You know why why politics? Why why conflict? Well, I could have been a fashion writer. I know. <laughs> well, not only fashion. I was thinking more fashion. interior designer. Yeah, I could no, have been see, I'm, I'm, see I, I'm not going to be that. I've always been interested in politics. I love. I mean, I majored in political science in college. I loved it. I like politics. And I liked being able to watch because as a journalist, I really did believe. And, I, and now I'm a little more partisan but that you had to not belong to a political party. You didn't, I didn't vote in primaries usually. You know, I tried to, didn't endorse candidates. I, I felt like it was fun to watch it as a spectator. Well, I also like sports, so maybe the two go together. I mean, I, I, it, my big regret is that I didn't try to be a good sports writer at one point, because that, that, that is really fun to write, to cover sports, I think. Yeah. You're covering happy people there. <laughs> I mean, most yes. of the guys, if you're making a lot of money playing baseball or football or something, generally you're a pretty happy person. 
Maybe not. If you ask Mike Gooding, though, he, he told the story where he went into the dressing room and asked somebody something, and uh, they flipped him the bird, and then he went in the no. other dressing room or something like that, right? Yep. And, and he pushed him <laughs> into the locker or something. Carrie, I asked Mike to tell the story every time he's on. He came yeah. to Kiwanis, and for the second time at our Kiwanis <laughs> meeting, I made him retell the story when he was a young 1986, his first year at Channel 13, he was going to do sports for the weekend and show everybody he could become a sports guy. They go up to the Redskin game, the Washington football team. And New York was, um, the New York Giants were, were, were winning 19 to nothing late in the fourth quarter and Washington rallied to win the game. So yeah. the young cub reporter thinks we always go to the winner's locker room. Let's go to the losers and see what they think. <laughs> and he said, Flanagan, stand up here. I want to show you what happened to me. He walks right up to Harry Carson was a beast of a linebacker. Oh, for the New York oh yeah. yeah and Gooding walks that. right up to him with a microphone. What happened? And Carson, what happened? I'll show you what happened. And he just shoves me back to prove what Harry did. Mike with tail between his legs got out of there. But by the end of the hour, he spotted the Giants bus and there's Phil Sims climbing on the bus and the cub reporter thinks I'll try it again. Phil Sims, what happened? And he does this great gesture reaching in his pocket. Phil Sims, what happened? I'll show you what happened. And he pulls this right out at Mike. It is a great story. And I don't really do it justice. No, that is really What would Carrie have done in that situation with sports? <laughs> I don't know. I have to tell you, when I, I, I covered sports just briefly, part of 1981, and that was at the time when they were opening locker rooms to women because women uh, sports writers say it's not fair. The guys go in and they get all these great quotes, and we can't do it. And I know the Redskins at that time because I went to one of their practices had to cover it. Their theory, what they their solution was they just kept all the reporters out of the locker rooms, so you had to interview them in the hallway which was one way, but I was covering um, the Baltimore Orioles. Tom Boswell, the great writer, was the writer there. But it was the summer of the baseball strike. They were coming back, and I went up for uh, one of their warm-ups. They sent me up to cover it. And um, I was talking to I was talking to their PR guy who's sort of walking me through, and I'm, I'm admitting I'm an idiot. You know, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. As you're walking and so, through. Right, and that, well, he said, well, we'll take you to the clubhouse. We'll take you to the clubhouse. Well, I didn't know that clubhouse meant locker room because oh. I had grew up around racetracks with my dad and the clubhouse was a cool place where you could sit at a table with a linen tablecloth and have some lunch. So I thought I'm getting a treat. And he opened, <laughs> he said, I'll take you to the clubhouse. They're done now. They're in there. Oh, and we no. walked down, he opened the door, and I am in a sea of naked Baltimore yes. Orioles. <laughs> that it too. Was just, it was, and then the worst thing was, I couldn't tell who they were because they didn't have their jerseys on with their names and numbers. And they all, and it was just this blur of. Oh, that's I, funny. I didn't know where to look. It was so. I, I did the interviews, but they were not good. And did I, you, I, did, I got the names wrong. As a did, did you find them to be accommodating to you in the sense of yes. like, oh, there's a woman here that's put a towel around us? Or, no. Oh, good. Or, or, no. or, or, or were they? <laughs> I covered a game. I covered a game. The Orioles and the Phillies had an exhibition game, you know, National League, American League. And they sent me up to cover that because it wasn't didn't really count. And Pete Rose was playing for the Phillies. Right. And he was a jerk. He was a yep. jerk because I went into the locker room afterwards and he sat there just with it all hanging out and his locker was open and there were all these uh, offensive pictures there of women. He really? was, he was really rude. I really, wow. I really, I'm glad he's not in the hall of fame just mm. for the way he treated me. 
because it's all wow. about me. Did, did you think <laughs> it is all about you, Carrie? Okay. Okay. It was right that now, day, absolutely. and I thought, oh, this is you got to talk to Pete Rose, you've got to do the interview, you're up right, here. you know. But now, do you think? Uh, Let's go back to the time and again, judging. Do you yes. think that maybe he was offended that you were there? Yes, I do. I think he was old school and he didn't think women believed, belonged in the locker room. Mm-hmm. But I right. was doing my job. I mean, I was getting paid to be there and they wanted me to talk to Pete Rose. So I had to. Right. Um, now, now, t- oh. now today. Oh, we got, walked in, Alfredo. we got yeah. TZ trying to come in from overseas now. I'm coming in from Tel Aviv. Uh-huh. Yeah. Looks Tony like heard that. the word Pete Rose and he has you're to say something. About, you're talking about being a reporter. You know, they, they kind of look at, uh, describe you as re- a recovery, recovering newspaper columnist. Right. And then you talk about being a reporter and then a journalist. Are, is there a distinct difference between a columnist, a reporter and a journalist? A big difference. Well, big columnists. I mean, you're paid to write opinions, which is what I did. And and I also saw it as also. I also felt like a reporter. I tried to report new news in my columns and then give interpret it with my opinion, which is what reporters are doing now in the news pages, which is all wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but a journalist, that's kind of a fancy word, you know, that people call themselves. It's like lawyers who like to refer to themselves as attorneys, you know. <laughs> It's 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 sort of a vanity thing. I, I use it sometimes. I probably shouldn't because journalism implies like Ernest Hemingway going off to cover the Spanish you know, <laughs> Civil War. And I don't know. Most people, they don't deserve the term journalist. I wouldn't ever want it. I don't think. Well, you, you covered the troubles. I did cover the troubles. Those were that was a wild time in Ireland. Let me tell you something. I it bet was, it was lawless. It was well, lawless. that would make you that would make you a journalist. Yeah, well, that you was, earned that yeah. badge. Yeah, that was that was fun. It was were the fun. troubles north north and south, or were the troubles Ireland and England? No, the troubles were in Northern Ireland, the Catholics and the Protestants. And oh, I was living in the Republic, and I went up there occasionally to do the stories because um, I was I was a stringer for Newsweek and the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, and if they needed a story, I would go cover it. And I want to tell you, you were it was balkanized. Northern Ireland was it was another country. The Republic was everybody's dancing and drinking and having a good time. And you crossed the border and it was bleak and it was it was uh, barricades and Saracens in the streets. And uh, at night I would stay with these people that I'd been hooked up with. They were Catholics who lived in Andersonstown, which was a, a Catholic ghetto. And the roads would be literally cut off. They'd move those cement things in with these machines at night. You could mm. not leave. Jersey, Jersey, wall, where you Jersey were. walls, is that what they call it? Yeah, I think that's Jersey what they barriers are. Barriers or something? Yeah. yeah, they pulled them in at night and you could hear the tanks coming. Ooh. And when they Good were ready Lord. to raid a, the street I was on, if they were raiding a house, the women would go outside with pots and pans and start beating them to tell people to hide their guns and stuff. It was, wow. it was, it was a war zone. Wow. I mean, I, I want, I didn't feel physically in danger, but it was, you got that feeling that that's like wild. things weren't right there and uh, they weren't right so here you are young college graduate right you go um uh you get hired by the washington post you're you're in the big leagues right off the bat you didn't (laughs) even go to the minor leagues you went straight to the big leagues and then you go over um and and cover you know one of the, the the biggest stories of 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 that decade right how did that shape you coming back? Because I mean, I would have, I would picture again at the time, here's a woman 
who put herself in danger to cover the story. I'm going to, I was pretty young back then. Um, so I don't know what the ratio was of women doing that kind of, uh, that kind of reporting at the time. And you come back, I would think you could have been anywhere. And yet you chose to come down to Hampton Roads at well, the end of the day. It was happenstance. Um, but I didn't I didn't just cover the war. I was living in Dublin. I did lots of feature writing and economic stories. And then I got hired by an, an Irish paper. I was working for them for a while. I worked for an Irish magazine. So it wasn't all. But I went there specifically because I wanted to cover the trouble somewhat. And um, no, but when I came back at the end, I had no money. I mean, I had spent all my money because, you know, it's not it's being a stringer or a freelancer. You're, you, it's sort of eat what you kill. Mm. So I came back. I was broke. I started sending. I'm living with my parents. You know, I'm in 30 ish. I guess I was then. And it was, I just wanted to get a job. And it was I, I wanted to go to New Orleans. I wanted to work for the uh, Picayune. And um, they didn't have a they didn't have a position. I really wanted to work there. I liked the editor. I thought it was a feisty town, a lot of crime. It'd be a fun place to be. And um, it was. It was you want to you want to you don't want to go to Oklahoma and you know you want to go to Omaha. So Northern um, Texas. What? Well, yeah, there you go. So anyway, I, I I and but an old editor of mine at the Washington Post had been the city editor at the Virginian Pilot. He knew I was. I said I got to get a job. I you know I got to eat. So he made some calls and the pilot made me an offer and I accepted it. And then the next day, the Picayune, the Times Picayune called and they had a feature writer position. Oh. And oh. I remember I was sitting there in my parents' kitchen going, oh man. And my father actually said, and he, this was out of character, go to New Orleans. That's where you want to be. Just go, forget them. And I said, I can't. A friend stuck out his neck for me to get me this job in Norfolk. I'll go down there and work for a year. And then by then I'll have a pile of American clips. I won't look like such a weirdo with all these Irish clips and <laughs> and I'll get a job. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. I never left. So. What year was that? 1984. OK. In August. I came in 1980. Were you there? Yeah. Were you there the day uh, they had a going away party for Guy Fredell? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. Yes, I was. Yes, of course I was. I'll never forget. He was so eloquent. His words just made everybody think. And, and he's, uh, he's saying, he's talking about Larry Madry mm -hmm. and, and he says, nothing is more beautiful than to sit down at the breakfast table. And he's referring to his wife and look across the table and see her just begin to smile reading Larry's daily column. <laughs> <laughs> Only guy could say it that way. And yeah. I'm, I'm digging way too deep here, but anyway, yeah. that was, was back in the eighties. He was a beautiful writer. And I love those kind of columnists too. I mean, he was, he wasn't afraid to, he waded into politics a good bit, but he'd write about tomato sandwiches in a way that you had to go eat one after you read the column. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. right. And, and he and Larry were both sort of these, I mean, Larry's still alive. I don't want to sound like Larry's gone yeah. writing anymore, but they were Southern gentlemen. And one day I was sitting there and I think Dave Addis nudged me. He said, watch this. Look at these two a guy. Larry, Larry Madry had been on the Eastern shore and came back with a bag of tomatoes. And he said, here, you take some. And guy saying, no, no, I can't. He said, no, no, take one. Well, I'll take one. And he said, no, take two. They were going back and forth over this bag of tomatoes. <laughs> and they were being so polite that they, or maybe somebody brought, I think what it was, somebody had dropped off some tomatoes for them. And, you know, they didn't want to take too many. And they were oh, two yeah. wow. Southern gentlemen, just, they both wanted all the tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
<laughs> it was fun to watch. They were- well, I think we've uh, probably chatted long enough. Don't you guys agree, uh, Carrie? Yeah. I'm sure we wore you out. Well, thanks for having me. Thank this you. This has just been great. Uh, anybody want to have the final word? Alfredo, you have really come up with some awesome insights. I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm, I'm not ready to let her go yet. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm enjoying her. I'm enjoying her. I'm enjoying her views and I'm enjoying um, her take, honestly, um, because I think it's fascinating. Um, I, I think I think you're a fascinating woman and how you've come, uh, you know, again, and, and, and I relate to you growing up as a poor kid in the Bronx in the 70s and 80s when uh, in, in the South Bronx, when it wasn't, you know, the best place to be, I should be a screaming liberal. <laughs> uh, and I'm and, and I'm not I'm conservative. And you being, uh, you, you know, it, at the Vietnam War and, and in a small school, liberal right. arts, you should also be, you know, and I'm a woman and we know all right. Be pro-abortion and everything. Oh, of course, of course, yeah. yeah. Even in our women carts, if we don't. Right, right, and and you know you should be on MSNBC and you you know the whole nine, and yet, um, you do. I, 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 you said you present yourself as an everyman, Mm -hmm. um, and it was funny because I was like, yeah, she is an everyman, but she's not a man, and I had this kind (laughs) of like every woman. (laughs) I need need to get my pronouns out. Every every, her. Is there a book in the future? I don't know. I've I've been playing with a book, but you know, I get I have ADD. I think I'm better at just doing things short term. I feel really. you on that one. I really am. I've got I've got four chapters of a book that I started when I left the pilot in 2017. Joe's lucky we even got this thing up and running. I swear, my ADHD wow. sometimes doesn't finish. A project. I'm so glad you're doing this, Joe. I really am. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna be a a, a follower, and I want to put it on the website so we can. Yeah, keep- we'll definitely do that. Uh, that would be awesome. And being the sports fan that you are you know jack anderson yeah. well jack spoke at kiwanis and jack anderson is working on a book and to hear his life story in sports you would love it oh that's aba times and general manager of the year back in the day of the virginia squires right. he has got a million stories oh that's great yeah probably some uh, dr j stories who didn't he play here yes he did yeah. very good you sports fan you I came to one of their games one time when I lived in Washington. Is that right? Yeah, down here. Can't remember. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I, I, I definitely would. If you could do me a favor, tell Tony McCreaney that Alfredo says hello. I will. I will. I will. And tell he Tony was... McCreaney Joe Flanagan says hello. Yeah. You yeah, should have Tony on. I mean, and, he's he's enormously. Get him talking. It'd about be the hard studio. to get him one. But, but any minute, I feel like Mike's going to bust in that door right behind you. She <laughs> <laughs> said, "I hang up on people." That's I tell great. you what, the whole time I've been thinking Mike's just going to go wow and totally <laughs> yeah. surprise you, right? Guns blazing. He's <laughs> Well, you know, talking about <laughs> Brown versus the Port of Ed, and yeah. uh, you know, Mar- oh. Marbury, Mad- he worked in Marbury Madison the other day. I thought, I don't know wow. what that is. They don't remember. I mean. Uh, yeah. The second district come across with this. Yeah, Mike, I'm on the radio. Can you please? Golly. But yeah. Well, my uh, my excuse for hurrying things up, uh, uh, Carrie, our next guest in two weeks yes. is Kevin O'Connor of O'Connor Brewing in uh, oh, downtown cool. Norfolk. And can't wait to talk to him because I absolutely love El Guapo, my favorite beer. Is it really? And it is. Oh, my gosh. To get that on draft, even in the bottle, it's fantastic. 
but he, the O'Connor Brewing about every Saturday has like a mini festival on their property in Norfolk. And Mike Gooding is going to meet me there at, uh, well, as soon as I get out of this, I'm going to go there. You and they have, the day? they have, ba- I know they have bands and food <laughs> trucks He's and it goes till 10 PM. So, uh, Kevin will be there and I got to lock him in to be our guest, uh, next time on this. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. So guys, what do you think? Should we wrap? I'm thirsty. I need to go get that beer. Oh, well, I, can't, I, I can't say <laughs> I no a great to a man who wants a, a, a beer. But yeah. Gary, thank you so thank much. You. This was me. really this great. Good meeting everybody. Thank you. Carrie, it's been it's been wonderful. And okay. um let's grab coffee sometime. I, you know what? I, I would love Something to harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And okay. Tony, Tony's the regular listener. You'll be tuned in Monday morning, right, Tony? I'll be I'll be on there. Don't let Mike cut me off. Okay, okay. I will. If you call in, just say Tony's me, and I'll know it's you. It's the Silver Fox calling you in from Tel Aviv. <laughs> All right, Carrie. Thanks so much. Have a great thanks day, so Carrie. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Great time. Take Love care. It. Bye. Bye. Later. You like bass fishing? Yeah, I like bass fishing. Well, I'm looking for that legend, the one that got away. That doubles other size, or as old folks say, he's out there and he's taunting me. I just need him on my line. Cause when I haul him on the shore, his legacy will be mine. Just up over the ridge, about a mile past the sign. There's a peaceful lake out there where lures hardly ever shine. As the story goes, the owner's old and he'll shoot you in your ass. That don't mean a thing to me, cause I will trust past for bass. Through ticks and mud and other crud, I'm hiding in your trees. From morning light till dusk at night, you don't know where I'll be. With riding hands, you know I plan to get up on your stash. Can't say as I didn't warn you, cause I will trespass for bass. Boom, boom, boom.